It's a beautiful day for a goat kicker, a beautiful day for a podcast. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Gonna put on my hoodie and my harm reduction bass pro cap. Could you be mine? Won't you be my goat kickers? Hey, everybody. A week late with these topics, but the last one went so long. Now I'm at full power, just like Mr. Rogers. Check that out. Now I know why he does that. Hubris is why. So, welcome back to the Go Kicker Podcast. I am your host, Carl D. Smith. The D stands for detention, and that's where I'm going to end up for um, neglecting to get this thing started on time. I actually almost forgot that today was Wednesday and that that, that meant it's Goat Kicker Night. Um, and then I got watching sumo wrestling, uh, which is my new obsession, and completely spaced again that I needed to start at 8.30. So um, I'm going to try not to talk about sumo, you guys, but I am absolutely sprung for sumo wrestling right now. So um, it is my new jam. And will I be interested in sumo wrestling a year from now? Those of you who follow me or follow the Goat Kicker know that the odds are pretty good that I won't talk about sumo wrestling by June of this year. But I've decided to embrace that side of me. And man, if I'm into it now and I'm going to throw myself into it deep, I'm just going to enjoy it and not feel guilty about that. It's... uh you only get one shot at life, and my curiosity and my wandering interests are somewhat famous, uh, almost as famous as how often I quit Facebook and restart it. But, um, you know, it's just part of who I am, and at 48, I've got to start to be a little more comfortable with that. And so, we go kick. Glad to have you back here on the Cornucopia 7. Is that what we're calling it? in low geosynchronous orbit right above Council Bluffs, Iowa, planet Earth. On this third episode, I want to talk about a couple things. Of course, we got to mix the sweet with the salty. We got to mix the intelligent with the irrelevant, however you want to put that. And I want to talk a little bit about adult success because it's something that I think all of us chase to one degree or another. But um, maybe don't find, and a lot of your life is defined uh, by how, I don't know, uh, how well or how not well you find that success or um, how uh, you compare to others who have found success, at least in your eyes. Um, and how toxic that can be, uh, because again, it's so trite and so hack to say it, but man, it's like every day is kind of a gift and we spend so many of them, um, miserable, this needlessly miserable. And some of that's by design. And some of that is, um, proof that we need to treat ourselves maybe a little bit better. So we'll talk a little bit about success here in just a moment. So um, some housekeeping. Um, There isn't a Goad Kicker podcast without me and employment drama, right? So every time this show seems to get in its stride again, 
there's a big job change or something goes on with my employment and um, kind of upsets the apple car a little bit. And I was thinking about that today. Um, I set up an interview for yet another job, um, which could potentially, if offered to me, put me in a position uh, for much angst uh, in deciding whether or not to take it. But we'll talk about that when it happens. But uh, I was thinking about how my show, my creative projects, my writing, my, my posting online, all of those things always seem to butt up against um, some sort of vocational drama. And I was wondering, is there a reason for that? Is that stress? Is that uh, that feeling of helplessness and in, in, in that crushing weight of making a decision that may affect not only your future, but the future of your family and your financial well-being and, you know, um, the state of your hobbies and your sleeping schedule and all those things. Does that stress somehow need additional creativity? Uh, creativity then so you can blow off some steam and uh, be productive uh, and make content? Or is it that making content in the way that I do with things that I hope are thought-provoking, at least to me they're thought-provoking, Maybe you've spent a little bit of time uh, thinking, maybe too much time, and you start to question things like the static parts of your life, like your career. And maybe me being productive at my creative endeavors actually encourages me to second-guess things that I'm not so creative in, such as punching a clock. So maybe it's a chicken-and-egg situation, does the podcast give me problems with the job or does the problems with the job give me the podcast? Or there's a third option. I'll let you think briefly about that third option. The third option is, is my life is so filled with drama. <laughs> Let's just call it drama that, um, me finding a time when I have vocational drama is like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. And so any endeavor that I undertake is going to butt up against some period of time uh, when I'm dealing with some sort of vocational stress because I'm constantly in a state of vocational stress. I would like to say all of us are, but I look around me and I see a lot of people who, um, you know, uh, are able to mitigate some of the soul-crushing aspects of the 9 to 5 and seem to leave, live, at least on the surface, you know, reasonably happy lives. And I always wondered why I was so restless. My friend Jerry, um, one of my good friends, I can tell he's a good friend because he's not afraid, afraid to say things to me that, um, that might uh, be constructive criticism. And he mentioned that, you know, I tend to have a particular attitude where I struggle with having management. And um, that seems to be a running theme. And initially I disagreed, but, you know, I, it's true. I don't like to be managed because I like to follow my own pursuits. I'm a productive guy. I can be a hardworking guy. Um and uh, I like what I do to have some sort of meaning outside of just churning out uh, pointless labor. And so um, 
it puts me in a position where being my own boss would probably put out those fires, but also I'm not disciplined enough or organized enough to risk my entire livelihood and the livelihood of my family on me taking on some sort of self-employed project. So, so there is that, I, you know, that's that constructive, constructive criticism. Um, also, I think that, that we all value things differently. When I see other full-time pharmacists, when I was in pharmacy, Hey, how's it going? I got a compliment on the chat box here and now I'm all flustered and going to derail the whole show. But, um, but when I see other people in that role, um, uh, I wonder how they're able to punch in and punch out. They're frustrated with the, the, the game the same way I was, um, the same reasons. Uh, you know, they're not doing anything any more or less antagonistic to management or to the customers uh, than I am. And so we're all having that same experience. And I wonder how come they're able to do it for 12 years and I get to about the two year mark and I have a rash and I've got to get out of there because I couldn't take another day. Uh, I need a change of venue at least. Um, and, uh, I wonder why it is that they're like that and I'm the way I am. And it's not a good or a bad thing. It's not a better than, worse than thing. It's a, a matter of, uh, of I think, that my values of my own time and my expectations of what I do with my energy and my effort are so different that I get super frustrated easy when I'm just spinning my wheels and just doing things just because or when there's a lack of appreciation or a lack of an effort to reach out to people who could probably really use some intervention and use an advocate. Much like we talked about with harm reduction, I think all healthcare should serve a purpose similar to a religious mission, and that is to bring this wealth of resource that we have access to to serve those who don't have access. Uh, <laughs> Hey, how's it going, man? Um, you know, actually, you, that reminds me of something. Um, I should probably call you guys by your screen names rather than try to out you to the world here. But um, but to swim the birds reminds me um, of something else I want to mention here on, and I'll and I'll wrap up this this intro part. But uh, um, so anyway, I think that's the difference. I think my values of my own time and my own expectations of what I accomplish are. Uh, are different than other people. And some people are really good at compartmentalizing and just punching that clock. And that's not bad. It's not worse or better, like I said. Um, it's a very useful survival mechanism. But for myself, I think, um, I think I struggle with that. I need to do something that's creative and productive and at least something that can distract my uh, intellectual pursuits and my curiosity um, until it doesn't, and then I move on. And IT has been an amazing boon for me because it's the sort of job that rewards you for having that wanderlust to constantly learn new things and, and apply new things. Um, I think that it there are corners of the IT world that could get incredibly stale and repetitive, um, or you could look at it as, as a challenge and, and continually 
rebuild and, and refocus. Um, whereas a retail pharmacist, the best you can do is go work for the guy across the street and sometimes even deal with the same patients. So, so anyway, um, dealing with a little bit of career choices, but that's always been the case with Goad Kicker. And, um, you know, that's just who I am, I guess. Uh, so what, uh, what Swim the Birds r- reminded me I wanted to mention is it, I haven't followed uh, by as a viewer the WWE, WWF for a long time. And um, I was turned off by the Attitude Era, uh, even when it was happening. Although I watched WCW and it wasn't much better, so I, I don't know why I chose sides at that time, but the, but the more I find out about uh, what went on and, and what was getting their ratings and what the fans fondly remember from that era, I, I'm not interested in it. The pro wrestling that I enjoy, for the most part, is is dead and gone, and I'm fine with that. Um, it saves me a lot of time and energy, but I still kind of keep my ear to the tracks and um, and try to follow what's going on, and I do want to see some good wrestling every once in a while. So I either find myself watching very, very old wrestling on YouTube or, um, or I'll, I'll dip into something like AEW and just, uh, you know, tune out the stuff I don't like as much and enjoy the stuff that I do. And there's some personalities I think that, you know, in the right era and the right guidance would have been outstanding, uh, superstars of pro wrestling. And there's some that I'm, I'm amazed that that's who they're, they're hitching their, their wagon to. But where I was going with this is the WWE is going through a massive, massive, massive problem right now uh, where um, they have some leadership issues uh, with Vince retiring and coming back and uh, people voluntarily retiring or, or being forced out of seats. And then the rumored uh, sale now of the WWE to uh, an investment group from the Saudi Arabia, which... You know, there was a lot of speculation. Who's going to buy the WWE as an intellectual property? Is it going to be NBC? Is it going to be uh, Disney? You know, is it going to be some dark horse like Netflix or Amazon? And it turns out that all of those places were very wise and realized that the valuation on that company um, doesn't really have a lot of return on it. Um, And... uh, for some reason, the only people with the kind of money to throw around and buy stuff up is Saudi Arabia. And uh, given their human rights violations and some of their cultural, um, oh, I don't, their cultural components, let's call them, uh, the things that they make into... Um, into uh, issues that, that that wouldn't allow them to just put on a wrestling show as you and I know it, uh, make this a sticky situation. There's just so much at play, whether it be ethical or, or social or religious. Um, there's just so much stuff. Um, and wrestling already struggles to get above uh, certain allegations of uh, being a boys club and um, exploitive uh, and exclusion uh, exclusionary uh, you know with uh, who gets promoted and pushed um, 
I don't think a Saudi Arabia, you know, board is going to help alleviate any of those problems. So it could be, and it's a little bit the sky is falling, but it could be that we could finally be seeing the end of this worldwide wrestling federation lineage. Uh, you know, no McMahon's involved is what it kind of seems like is going to happen. And, um, you know, what do you own? What do you own if you buy the WWE? You buy a logo, you buy brand recognition that that means that it's going to be wrestling. Um, but, you know, you may own a bunch of trademarks, but a lot of those trademarks are tied to actual human beings that are no longer involved. So you might own The Undertaker. You might own The Ultimate Warrior. You might own The Macho Man. But um, those are things that no longer exist. And, uh, you know, other than back catalogs of tapes, um, I don't know how you hope to recoup any money you invest. Um, the WWE isn't really a, a touring troupe anymore. Uh, wrestling isn't really in that mode anymore. Um, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, then there was a huge interest in swell in independent wrestling, in some resource sharing between some of the promotions. Um, the AEW was very progressive about um, highlighting uh, non-contracted independent wrestlers and even hiring some of them. Um, wrestling was going to enter a new era, it looked like, for a while there. But now... Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, a lot of that buzz around some of the, um, the lesser promotions has this gone away or has been cannibalized. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting only in that it's a change of the guard. Um, and it could very well be that the AEW comes out on top and, um, might have an embarrassment of riches of resources to pull from, both from fans and viewers and from um, wrestlers, from talent to pull from, uh, depending on what people's opinion and what their contracts are like after this sale. Um, and they may have to grow up quick, or they may suffer the same problem that any business does when it grows too quickly and, you know, it, pull a WCW and just have every advantage in the world and still find a way to lose. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm not against AEW. I'd like to see them do well. I think there's some idiots in charge there, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a fan and, um, I'm sitting and I'm watching a product and the product is usually pretty entertaining. And there's usually at least one excellent match, you know, on their free show. Um, there are no jobbers, so to speak. Um, they run out all their talent every week, and I don't know what I think about that in the grand scheme of pro wrestling, but for this day and age, it's an exciting product, and um, I think they would have a lot to offer from people fleeing a sinking ship, and um, I hope everybody acts with their heart uh, and not with their pocketbook, but more power to them uh, to try to benefit from uh, this situation because Lord knows that the WWE has benefited, uh, from, uh, in, in their case, uh, you know, plenty of times. So anyway, so wrestling is going through quite a big change and, um, 
it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. So, well, I want to talk a little bit about success and what it means to find success as an adult. And um, it's one of those things where you define success and then you chase success or you define success and you find it impossible to approach success and then you give up. And then there's people in between who are really good at reassessing success, which is hard to say, and um, constantly have like a moving target, you know, and um, have a very stepwise, um, methodical way of going about finding that sort of that inner accomplishment um, as an adult. Um, Most of my friends, the sort of people who listen to this podcast, aren't going to be the type of people who fell backwards into a trust fund and don't have to worry about success. They just have to worry about being. Um, Most of us had to find some way to afford rent, hobbies, you know, and so on. A lot of us in this this sort of middle class, if you would call it that, um, define success on relationships, you know, finding that love of your life or finding that circle of friends um, or, you know, finding a hobby that they can really throw themselves into and sort of become a part of a fandom. Um, Having children or having pets or, you know, or producing content. Those are all achievable, common successes. And some people, they sort of made their list and that was on the list. And if they achieve it, they're, they're satisfied and they're done. And I don't want to equate having a podcast with having a child as far as generating content, but, uh, but here we are. Um, the problem with that is, is there's people who set those goals for themselves and don't reach those goals and feel like a failure. You don't find the love of your life or, um, you can't finish that novel or, COVID absolutely rips apart uh, your social group and it never congeals again. Or, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus, especially in like the comic book community, of finding your people, finding your tribe. Well, what happens when you find your tribe and then things that are out of your control take that tribe from you? Like, oh, I don't know, a certain bird-based social media uh, app sort of, slowly deteriorating over the course of, you know, six years until a switch in ownership absolutely puts the pin in it, you know. Um, so then what happens? What, what do you do as, in my case, a 48-year-old who has had opportunities to get educations and to find employment and to make relationships, but you don't feel like you're a success? Um, do you continue to chase success? Do you just kind of change your targets so that you can give yourself a participation uh, ribbon and excuse yourself from the rat race for whatever life you have left ahead of you? It's a difficult thing because sometimes you do everything right and just never get that lightning bolt. And we're sort of led to believe two terrible, terrible lies, especially in America. I don't know what this is like elsewhere. We have plenty of people who watch from all around, but, um, we're told that you should always just be yourself because that's what people want you to be. And, um, if you're just yourself, if you just be yourself, that 
you'll find happiness. But that's not the truth because some people are completely unbearable in their natural state. Um, there's some personal betterment that all of us probably need. Be a little bit of refinement, a little bit of polishing. Um, being yourself is, is not magical. It's lazy. Um, you know, if you're talking about being yourself uh, as opposed to trying to be something you're not, then sure, let's have that discussion. But um, but anyway, we're taught that, that the highest form of, of, of being is to be yourself. Um, the other thing that we're taught is that you can sort of hustle your way to whatever you want in this world, and that's the so-called American dream. But there are people with so much stacked against them uh, not even by their own design, um, that you can't win, not in that way, uh, no matter what your hustle is. And there's always an example or two. Uh, the famous one is that movie, you know, the movie with uh, Will Smith called Happiness, where he's that homeless fellow that um, is raising his kid basically in um, train station bathrooms and so on, and he's you know teaching himself real estate, and he becomes like a multimillionaire. And it's based on a true story. It's a terrible type of story because it sort of builds that myth further that we all can so you know pull ourselves up by the so-called bootstraps, and um, it's not a reality for many, many, many of us. Um, so what do you do? What do you do to find success as an adult? Um, I think reinvention, at least in my case, is really the best thing. If I have to work until I'm dead, which looks more and more like the reality for my generation and the ones behind me, um, I want to at least be learning until I'm dead. And um, the idea that you become something that you chose in junior high and started working towards in high school and then became when you were 23 and then that's the thing you're going to do for 40 to 50 years? Insanity. It's absolute insanity. I mean, it's bad enough that a lot of us feel like we have to meet the love of our life before we turn 30. I can't believe that people think that they can find their life's passion at that same period of time and then stick with it because it becomes a grind. And if you are just one of the few that decide you want to find something that pays bills and you find a job and you do that job, it's fantastic. But with the way the economy is and that sort of upward growth expected to be built into your experience, it gets harder and harder and harder, I think, to not have some sort of plan as far as your career or your vocation. So... In my case, uh, rather late in life here, you know, I, I left the ministry. I was a minister for a short amount of time and left the ministry, um, worked as a temp, uh, temp worker for quite a while, uh, a couple years, and knew that that's not how I could live my adult life. I needed to find something, something that I got out of bed to do because it was something I wanted to do. And at that time, I was really interested in, in medicine and decided that I wanted to either be a surgical tech or a pharmacist. And then I looked into it, and then I worked part-time as a pharmacy tech to get some inside intel. I just had a boldness and an ignorance that I didn't know any better. I just showed up and filled out an, uh, an application and, and 
they hired me and trained me. And before you know it, I was taking classes again and, and applying for pharmacy schools and getting denied and then getting accepted. And then I was a pharmacist. And then here I am again. What do I do when that profession sort of morphed and evolved in a way that I no longer want to be a part of? Luckily for myself, finding success has been more about the educational journey than anything else. Um, I've learned the hard way that it's not amassing the things that you couldn't have as a child, um, that it's not having comic books, uh, that hot and cold running comic books, uh, filling in gaps and key issues as you care to because you have an adult income. That doesn't scratch the itch. Um, you know, books and uh, even having children and being married, you know, those sorts of things are all great achievements. And I still say that my purpose on this earth is probably to be a father. And that gets more and more morbid every day as my kids continue to grow older and won't always be living under this roof. So then what do you do then? But uh, I've learned to embrace the fact that my brain is wired in a particular way um, to seek out educational um, variety. And um, with my, uh, pardon me, I had to sneeze there for those of you listening on the podcast and wonder why that went dead. I actually remembered I had a mute, so you're welcome. But for me, allowing myself to follow variety of intellectual pursuits and not shame myself for that has been equal parts liberating and, and terrifying because I continue to pay dues and uh, start at the bottom of the ladder. And then when I change professions, change sites, I'm right down at the bottom again, and I'm not making that sort of upward mobility that I should. Um, and we'll talk some other time about that and the, the so, sort of myth of salary progression. But, but uh, what I was getting at is that I, I've managed to find a way to measure my success based on what I'm wired to do, what skills and gifts I was given uh, as a biological organism that makes me different than the other six or seven expressions of that same organism that I come into contact with on a regular basis. You know, what makes me Carl Smith and not just male type? And, um, I think it's that curiosity and that ability to learn and that absolute interest in learning and doing new things. So I hope that each one of you out there has taken some time to think about what success is for you and how to achieve that. And I hope it isn't a finish line. And some people need a finish line, and it feels great to cross a finish line, but there's so much beyond the finish line. Um that uh, if you're at all like me, it feels sort of empty um, once you hit that magical spot where you are aiming for what then, you know, what after that, what gets you out of bed after that. And, um, you know, for me, I just need to continually have a different target. And um, it's really helped me deal with this idea of not being a successful 
adult because in a lot of ways I do feel like an absolute failure at what I'm doing. And I see people my age uh, who are rocketing towards a comfortable retirement. We might be the last generation that possibly could have had a retirement if you did everything right. Um, or they have achieved a certain flexibility in their lifestyle because of their uh, promotions uh, through their vocations um, that I haven't enjoyed. I'm still training in a back room like some high schooler and starting, you know, with no vacation and uh, a pause on my benefits because I have to wait to hit the, the, the appropriate amount of time since higher. When I have friends in other professions that, you know, don't even need to have ID badges anymore because everybody at their place of employment knows them. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, but those, those goals for success, I think you need to define them for yourself so you don't get beat down and feel like a failure. Um, I enjoy writing and I really threw myself into writing, but I let myself chase a marker for success with that writing that may or may not have been even achievable, but it wasn't really a healthy success marker for me. Um, and uh, I've backed off a little bit because I've spent so much of my extra time doing things like setting up streams and learning how to use this technology, but also learning to code and taking online classes to kind of fill in some cracks with some IT knowledge and stuff so I can pursue a career in a different field. Hopefully it will all come back around. My, my biggest goals for myself right now are to find a way to utilize that education that I invested in as a pharmacist without dispensing medication. I want to find a way to utilize that to help the most people that I can. And I want to get to a part where I can, I can afford to just have one job comfortably and not two and not be looking for side hustles and making sacrifices. Um, and I want to be able to be making enough extra that not only am I able to, but I feel obligated to find a way to share that resource. And I've been there before, um, before the kids were very grown. Um, you know, when I was a young pharmacist and, you know, things were going pretty well with the economy and they were throwing money at us and, you know, things were somewhat happy. This was prior to the CHI job. Um, I felt like I was making income that sort of behooved me to find a way to utilize some of that money um, in, for benevolence. And I'm mean, not that I didn't want to anyway, but it was an embarrassment of resource I want to get to that place again where I have an embarrassment of resource, not only to provide for my family and to start, you know, being a responsible adult again, but to also have that sort of flexibility that I can just reach out and, and try to help somebody even in the moment um, with that resource that they may not have access to. So those are my goals for myself. And if I can meet those goals in any way, I'll feel like a tremendous success. Um, but I've also set little, you know, breadcrumb goals along the way. Like I just want to get done with my next certification or, you know, I've, I've applied for a job that's outside of the pharmacy domain, really. Uh, it's an applications analyst adjacent to pharmacy. 
but they aren't looking for a pharmacist. They're looking for someone with IT knowledge. Um, and I applied for that, and they requested an interview. Um, so it's the first time I've applied for an IT job that I got through the uh, application process and got a request for an interview um, based on the merits of my resume and not a recommendation uh, from someone that's working at that location as the job I have now. I'm not going to – I interviewed well. I They hit me at the peak of my interest in when I was immersing myself in IT classes. But um, ultimately, I think that job uh, that I have currently – uh, came down to they needed somebody and I had the strong recommendation of someone that worked there already. So this next interview is sort of a breadcrumb success for me. I had bent their ear based on my own achievement and it really is my own achievement. No one is driving me with a whip. Uh, no one's uh, goading me, so to speak, to um, to go forward with this. This is something that I've dreamt up and have developed a lesson plan and have pressed forward uh, on my own. And will it pay off? Will it not? Will I be uh, finally uh, resigned to just return to pharmacy because it's always going to be there for me? Who's to say? But uh, for now, um, it feels like I'm making progress in the right direction. But there's some interesting wrinkles that we'll save for another show. But I want to continue this success talk. And how I want to continue it is what happens when you do everything right and you're not a success. And I'm going to frame this in the discussion of Valiant Comics. For those of you who read comic books, you may be familiar with Valiant, um, regardless of what era you read, um, either as a teen or as an adult um, here recently. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Valiant Comics, um, why I bring it up at all, and what it has to do with success. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after that break. So stick with me. Tell your friends to sign in and hear it all live before the vast left-wing conspiracy edits all my feeds and makes it sound like I'm compassionate and care about other people, um, you know, like a total liberal cuck. So anyway, quick break. I'll be back after the break. All right, got to turn the mic on, I guess. That's fine. You miss me singing the praises of Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper Zero. Should I just do a commercial for it? Zero sugar. This stuff tastes just like real Dr. Pepper to the point where I don't know why they even make the sugared version of these pops anymore. They have absolutely mastered the art of decepting your taste buds. If I grab a diet Dr. Pepper now, I'm angry. Like, I'm absolutely angry because it doesn't taste right. Um, I discovered this stuff uh, before we went down to Branson. And when we got about halfway down, uh, you know, deep in the Missouri, they had diet Dr. Pepper, um, and that was it. Diet soda wasn't quite as uh, well-stocked in some of the gas stations we stopped in as the regular stuff. Lots of Mountain Dew, lots of Coke. 
but the zero sugar stuff wasn't everywhere. And it really bummed me out because um, it was really helping me um, kind of try to kick my sugar pop habit. And now I probably drink more soda than ever, even though it's all calorie free, uh, which can't be good for you either. Um, we'll talk about caffeine maybe on a future episode. But anyway, fueled by Dr. Pepper Zero. So Valiant Comic Books, if you go to any store or junk shop or somebody's collection uh, that was around in the 90s, you will see Valiant Comics by the SCADs. They were uh, not really the third publisher, uh, you know, in comparison to uh, Marvel and DC, when they came out, they were just one of many who were trying to break into this hot comic market in the 90s. Um, they were formed almost out of bitter hate. Uh, Jim Shooter and his buddies, um, you know, ran out of Marvel and, you know, Marvel was teetering a little bit, um, just preparing to lose a lot of their top talent to uh, form Image, uh, Dark Horse, and, and publishers like that were having some success being an alternative to superhero comic books, and they actually decided to start developing their own superhero lines just to compete with the hotness of, of the comic speculation market at that time. It was a real boom. And Valiant made pretty good comic books with really good art. And I think it was a lot of artists who felt like they weren't finding a place at Marvel at the time uh, because there was a lot of style over substance. And so a lot of sort of the classic visual storytelling sort of came over to Valiant. And then they had fresh characters. Um, they had rights to some time-tested uh, time characters from gold key era and sort of gave them a new coat of paint which never helps to have something that has a, a concept that's been tested in the field but then all their new stuff did really well too and they did some brilliant things with marketing um, that really tied them into that collector culture with um, with special low print run issues mail order issues issues you could only get if you bought uh Wizard Magazine, um, you know, the print runs were enormous. Uh, they did gimmick covers out the wazoo. Some of the best gimmick covers to this day were uh, the Valiant Chromium cover for uh, Exo Manowar and Ninjak. You know, those were fantastic gimmick covers. Um, but they were mass-produced and had a lot of buzz, but ultimately couldn't sustain the fall of the market. And their characters just didn't have that cultural anchor that a Batman or a Spider-Man has. And um, they limped into the 2000s, sold out to acclaim, uh, tried to become, uh, you know, an IP farm, basically, for video games, which was the next hot industry. And, um, and it didn't go well for them. And by the time they were smart enough to pull the plug and to declare bankruptcy, uh, the rights to Valiant, Sands, the gold key, uh, were sold, um, and plans started immediately to reboot it. So you will find those old Valiant comic books everywhere. 
the new Valiant comic books, the ones that started right around 2012, 2011, um, complete fresh reboot. The stuff from before doesn't really count in the continuity, which is good and bad because, you know, it had been 20 years. They were trying to erase the stink of, of what it means to have boatloads of Valiant comics in your quarter bin um, and to give someone a starting on spot. And plus, to their benefit, they had planned out this new universe to a T. Um, they took those storylines, used them as a skeleton, and found a way to weave in their release schedule and their, their titles and their characters together into a universe that had stakes that mattered. Uh, they made sense how they related to one another. And they're one of the only publishers to this day that I've heard have stories developed, you know, months and years ahead of time uh, so that they continue to have high-quality creatives and a high-quality product. Um, they launched with Exo Manowar, Harbinger, uh, Bloodshot, Ninjack eventually came, uh, uh the other one, Eternal Warrior, became his own book. They brought back uh, Quantum and Woody, Archer and Armstrong. Um, anybody you recognized from that old run of, of Valiant uh, made a return. And they were meaningful and fun and had their own voices. And they had some of the greatest writers and artists that were working at that period of time doing books for them. Um, they were trying to interact with the fans. They had uh, they had uh, one of the first uh, really interactive websites that was useful as far as news, although they didn't maintain it long. It didn't really work. A lot of spin-out stuff, you know, they started getting into T-shirts and a lot of swag for, uh, for uh, comic shops. And they had people that went out and shook hands and uh, tried to make relationships with the retailers. They tried to be very pro-retailer. Um, they packaged the first arc of all their books into trade paperbacks in a timely fashion for a, a lower price. Matter of fact, I would argue probably a price at um, a, a price uh, that they, they probably took a little bit of a loss that they didn't need to on them just to introduce folks to these new um, IPs and um, and uh, you know they tried a lot of different things and uh, they continued with all their variant cover nonsense which wasn't an anthema to me but um, you know for the market at the time they were really trying to make it go to let people know this is a valid third option in the comic book space um, Image had had, as it would turn out, uh, another big um, rise in uh, consumer confidence yet again based on titles like The Walking Dead and um, Saga. Um, there was one about a high school, but I can't remember the name of it, where everybody are murderers. <laughs> and they had a, just a bunch of fun titles that ran for a long time, and everybody loved the the creatives that were involved with them. But, um, so there was some real competition for that space, but when it came to unique new novel, 
uh, superhero material. No one did it better than Valiant. Matter of fact, I don't think Marvel has put together the sort of event um, and the meaningful crossovers and the natural bowing in and or jumping in and bowing out of different series uh, and um, characters with crossovers and uh, sort of juggling multiple corners of the universe that still feel like they're occurring at a similar time um, and have effect on each other without everybody being in everybody else's comics. Um, they just did an absolutely wonderful job. And from about 2012 to about 2017, I bought almost everything that they put out and uh, put together a pretty epic collection of their hardcovers, their trade paperbacks, their floppies. Um, I didn't get real nuts about chasing um, their variants. Um, I sort of just took what I could get. And even, you know, my LCS at the time, uh, my true LCS, the one that's actually where I live, um, knew that I liked Valiant, and they believed in Valiant, but they didn't carry a lot of Valiant because guess what they didn't sell? A lot of Valiant. And they could make all the recommendations in the world. And you listen to a podcast like uh, Two-Headed Nerd, and they always reviewed Valiant very well. Matter of fact, there was a period of time around 2014, 2015, I think, where they had the best reviewed and the most nominated um uh, books, you know, for Eisner's, uh, for like the entire year. Um, really interesting, um, that they had all that sort of industry clout, but no one was really bananas about Valiant comic books in a way that it caught fire. You could still sell Deadpool or Harley Quinn by the fistful, and you would have to almost beg someone to pick up Exo Manowar. I loved Valiant, and I loved those books. The only reason I got rid of mine is because, A, as you guys know, I famously get to self-loathing uh, for all the clutter that I have, and B, uh, because there was a chance for me to be a part of the Hero Initiative, and I wanted to find a way to, to, to give to them in a meaningful way, and I donated my collection, which was pretty substantial, um, to be auctioned off with the proceeds to go to the Hero Initiative. If you don't know what the Hero Initiative is, um, we'll talk about it on another podcast. If you listen to um, Worst Comic Podcasts Ever, that's really their shtick, and I don't want to step on their toes, but um, it's a very worthwhile um, charity that if you're a comic book fan or a sequential art fan or, or whatever, I, I think you, you could do a lot worse things than maybe making sure you find a way to give to Hero Initiative at least once a year. And they do all sorts of things to, to give you back something uh, for, uh, for your donation, but um, very worthwhile cause. But I wanted to find a way to be a part of that, so I donated it. They auctioned it off. They got some money. Everybody won. But uh, here, years later, I want to read those books again. I don't regret giving them the books, but I have zero Valiant books. And so I jumped into the world of I wonder how hard it would be to rebuild a small library of Valiant that I want to read. Some of it's available digital, but I've never converted over to digital reading. I think it's awkward, and I never have really had a device that's comfortable. Um, their trade or their hardcover books 
bring a pretty penny because they weren't published in a great amount. Matter of fact, I pre-ordered almost all of mine through Legend, and they were happy to order them for me. But um, I got them all as they came out, and they became uh, came out slower and slower to the point where you never really knew if you were going to get like the full run of anything because it was always up in the air of whether or not they would even continue doing the hardcovers. Um, the hardcovers were fun because they did hardcovers for their events that also brought in all the tie-in issues and put them in the chronological order. And unlike, let's say, Fall of the Mutants or something like that, it actually felt meaningful to get all that other material in context. And just, again, they did everything right. So I get looking at these comic books again, and maybe I could track down the trade paperbacks. You can find them pretty cheap, um, but, um, but not a complete run always. And again, not everything probably had a, a full run or is any longer in print. Valiant Comic Books in the year 2022 um, finally succumbed to this issue that they were having. And that issue is cash flow. Uh, the cash flow was not reflecting the sort of hype that um, a revamped DC or a revamped Marvel or a Marvel when MCU is hot, uh, it was seeing, uh, you know, the, the high water didn't float all boat, boats. Valiant continued to struggle. It didn't help that they sold. They really wanted to get into the movie business and were working with Sony. They were bought by an investment group that some call it a Chinese investment group, but I think that while it had its roots in China, that uh, some of the investors that are heavies are, are, are stateside. But, um, but uh, it became, which it had in the past, A, an IP farm, and B, uh, under new leadership, corporate leadership. And the people who were steering the boat and did such a good job as fans making sure that everything was being done correctly um, were shown the door. And um, Valiant... All the fun things about Valiant, like the weird bootleg Archer and Armstrong books that would just show up mailed unsolicited to comic shops, or the the pull box only covers. You could only get those as a subscription, or um, books that you could only get uh, because your retailer uh, was getting them based on um, incentive ratios. Uh, Tales of the Geomancer, and so every shop was only getting a few copies, if that, um, kind of to drive sales of the Book of Death, uh, um, which was the event at that time that, you know, they were really making a mad push uh, to get some people looking at how high quality their comics were, and so they did those fun little incentive things where there's this four-issue series that is much like big idea is now that it will never be reprinted. Um, it will never be included in collected editions. It's, and there was such a low print run and it was so contingent on ordering at those shops that there's not a lot of copies floating around. It's good. Um, and, uh, I enjoyed it, but, uh, nothing much happens in it that's significant by design because you don't want to rip off 90% of your fan base by saying so sorry um you know it just it hadn't quite got the formula right for how to do a stunt like that and 
give you a quality product um, that also doesn't like betray people who are still buying a lot of comics from you. So, but anyway, so they finally succumb to all those pressures and the mismanagement and the the change in mission statement, and now they're only publishing one comic a month. Um, there's a limited series that's still struggling to finish that started over a year ago. It should be done by now. Um, they kind of just snuck out issues of a, of a bloodshot uh, series, but they had hoped, I'm sure, uh, to uh, been a blockbuster because of the movie with Vin Diesel. But, you know, that came out during COVID, and plus it's a Vin Diesel action movie. So, you know, it just, I don't think, ever quite panned out the way that this small little publisher hoped it would. Um now they're looking to reboot Exo Manowar for, I think, the fourth or fifth time since the 2012. Um, and it's not truly a reboot, but a lot of their stuff feels really rebooty since the change of the guard. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what context they put Exo in. But it's supposed to be out in March, and I've seen a lot of people sort of doubtful that it will even come to fruition. Um, and it almost feels a lot like a Hail Mary, like they're really banking on XO and free comic book day with a teaser book they have coming out to kind of rekindle the flame. But I hope they do, but it doesn't seem like it's in the cards for them. Valiant did everything absolutely right and didn't succeed. You will never put together a comic book universe with superheroes in it in an industry the way that it is now with powerhouses like Warner and Disney at both ends that is as tight and compelling and high quality as the 2012 Valiant lineup was. And the sad thing is, is that absolutely no one cares. There is a dedicated fan base. And then beyond that, it is crickets or people who vaguely remember really enjoying something they read from Valiant at one time. A reflection of that is the fact that as much as they pandered to the collectible market, collectors don't really respect Valiant comics either. If you look at your uh, supplier of choice, and I don't want to out all my sources, even though it's obvious where I'm getting my stuff, because I'm still trying to put together a collection myself, but 90% 90% is a conservative estimate. It may be higher. Of their entire output since 2012 can be had in floppy form in one variant cover or another for $2 an issue. Half of cover. It's bananas. And you can put together a pretty impressive library of Valiant Comics for relatively cheap. Um, and that's what I've started doing. Uh, I bought quite a few uh, at very low prices, some lots off of eBay and what have you, um, to get started rereading them again. And there's a few more that I would like uh, to get before I really get diving in, um, just for the chronological um, aspect of the whole thing. But, um, you know, it's a rabbit hole you can go down and become obsessed with and not have any regrets for the quality for very little outlay. 
I imagine these books are probably in dollar boxes at your local cons or comic shops. Um, I myself need to probably head over to my LCS and, and see if I can take advantage of my 50% off uh, back issues and uh, score some. But I have a strike price of around $2 or $2.50. If you see one that's marked up higher than that, uh, that you can't get cheaper, then you know it's particularly low print run. But there are no key issues. Nothing has been marked key. Nothing has artificial value. Um, there are covers that are 1 in 20, 1 in 50 retailer incentives that you can also have for undercover price. There just isn't any value there for someone who's doing anything other than reading them, which should bring me joy, but I think it's a symptom of a problem that their success was denied to them, regardless of the fact they did everything, everything, everything right. Now, they did a bunch of goofy stuff. They got involved early with digital trading cards on two different platforms. And then since the flip-flop of, of guidance, they've really gone hard in the NFTs. Um, they've goofed around with some of the characters. Um, people were really upset that they rode Faith as hard as they did into the ground, although I don't see it that way. I think she was a good character and a unique character. Um, and they were trying to yet again, find another uh, corner uh, of fandom and uh, their universe that they could uh, tell stories uh, without everything being big macho guys blowing away bad guys. So, um, but, you know, they turned off some of the neck beards that were hanging on. Um, they followed that up by promoting Shockwave, uh, who is a, a woman of color, uh, and which further alienated that same weird group of males. Um, and then um, when they switched uh, management, um, their editor-in-chief and, and then her assistants, or their assistants, I, her, their, I'm not sure what her pronouns are, his, or their pronouns are, but um, were people that people already had a problem with from Marvel um, for daring to try to make comics inclusive and progressive. Um, and so then there was a lot of allegations of the whole woke thing going on. And it didn't help that there was tonal changes midway through a few of their series. Um, again, I think because they're trying to polish things to be packaged for IP sales. Um, there were a few new series that started. A lot of the characters were gleaned from the prior uh, Valiant um, volumes, but um, kind of given new life, and they're kind of embarrassing and feel awkward in the universe. None of them are bad. I, I really haven't read a lot of bad comics from Valiant. <laughs> but um, But they're not great, and most of their stuff is great, so... In comparison, it seems like they're missteps. So how frustrating is it that there's this thing that exists that was done exactly the right way, and there's so many, so many people who dream of starting a comic book series or a comic book company um, to, to rival uh, someone like a Marvel and to do it right? Um, you know, that happens in any industry, uh, entertainment industry. Someone wants to, I want to do this, but I want to do it the right way. Um, uh, they did it the right way, and it didn't work. 
whether it be by luck or timing or just misreading the market. Uh, maybe we just want spoon-fed the same garbage and maybe part of the fun for us with a Spider-Man is having a dance lot to kick around when he dares make any changes. You know, maybe we don't want new. We don't want different. And that's very disappointing to me. The idea that, like, I would have been thrilled over the moon to uh, been involved with writing for Valiant Comic Books in that heyday um, and felt like I had made it, but ultimately to have done it for a company that didn't make it, that didn't do well, that only did so well. And they didn't even like fly too close to the sun, although they made a lot of weird choices with their priorities with the movies and everything else. But they didn't really, you know, put all their eggs in one basket and then go for broke and then lose. Um, it just was like this constant, let's just throw everything against the wall until something, something sticks um, mentality with everything around the comic books. And no one paid attention. And I don't know if it's they didn't take it serious or, like I said, they just don't want it. But those comic books hold up. And I can sit and read them. That first arc of Harbinger that leads into the Harbinger Wars um, with Bloodshot is some of the greatest development of characters and, and plot. And it's kind of goofy, uh, you know, um, pending apocalypse teenage reluctant heroes type stuff, but um, it's done well and it really sticks to landing. And, you know, this isn't Mark Wade writing it. This is, you know, a lot of people with input working as a committee to make sure they put out the best unified product possible. And, um, you know, dare I say it's, it's socialist comic book making. They wanted to make sure that product was the best for the people. And uh, they put aside a lot of egos to make sure that everything fit. And there was a lot of freedom to create within that system. And uh, we got things like Divinity, which was their cosmic arm. That It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful as a standalone. Rye, um, they have a whole mythology that happens at you know 4,000 years, 4,001 A.D., and Rye is at the center of that. And his comics are some of the best science fiction comics ever made in the West at all. And, um, you know, hardly any attention paid to them, and except for when someone reads it and they're immediately gobsmacked by how wonderful it is. Uh, and then they put it away. And, again, it just doesn't catch fire like it deserves to. So... Dealing with success in a platform like that, where you do everything right, you actually sort of nail what you're heading for, and just to be met with crickets is got to be one of the most frustrating things in the world. And I think in our personal lives, maybe we have that similar problem. I think a lot of times we do the right thing, and it just doesn't work out. We have the wife, the family, the kids, the car, you know, the nine to five, we don't call off sick, we fortunate enough to not fall prey to some of our worst demons like alcoholism or, you know, uh, what have you. And um, you just do things the right way, but success eludes you and you wonder why. Why wasn't I more of a success? I did things the right way. We paid our bills on time. We went to college. Um, you know, we were wise with our spending made sure we went to church every Sunday. 
And there isn't really an answer. And that's the best I can come up with. Uh, you know, as a former minister, I could give you some big spiel about, you know, how, you know, this is the way life is now, but life afterwards is different. This is all just a test, not to take it too serious. And some people are given different challenges and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it, it doesn't really help you answer the big question of, of why me? Why did I do things the right way and not find success? And that's one of the more hard conversations to have with yourself. And it's one of those things you can let fester and... Um, it affects your relationship with others. Uh, it affects your effectiveness as a human being. Um, it makes you second guess yourself. It makes you bitter. It makes you hard hearted. And I would encourage you to not let success uh, eluding you affect who you are. Just redefine your success, as we talked about earlier. Um, do something that has uh, easier to obtain breadcrumbs. And um, you know, not worry too much about your legacy. Just worry about what you can control at the time at which you can control it. You know, most of us do the thing that we think is best at any given time. But, you know, through the grace of of aging and experience, we get better at dealing with things appropriately. Or we should be. And that in itself is a uh, success. So, um Again, I'm not suggesting that we all find a way to give ourselves participation ribbons, but I think redefining success before um, the big successes elude us and we beat ourselves up too much um, is a crucial part of adulthood because things cease to be fun as you get older. I've had this conversation with three of my good friends in the last week alone, and it's a thing that comes up constantly is that we're in this phase of life where we're losing people we love, we're becoming less healthy, uh, finances uh, get stretched thinner instead of uh, becoming more solid, and um, it's just this part of life that no one talks about, and it's not going to get easier from here on out. And so you can be crushed by that, crushed by the loss of family and friends and the change of status quo with children growing up and dealing with, uh, you know, massive changes in society that you're not accustomed to or, or care for in the case of, you know, American politics. But, um, you know, you can let that crush you or you can find a way to let it wash around you and focus on something else. And I think that's crucial. And I don't have a specific answer for all of you. But it's a discussion I think it's good to have. And it's good to have between a bunch of 40-year-old nerds. Is that, uh, are you a success? Do you feel like a failure? Why do you feel like a failure? What did you write down on your journal uh, as your goal for success? And is it something that we can alter? Maybe life, much like Valiant Comics, has let you down. It's the market who are, who is wrong, not you. Um you are going to stand a test of time. You are objectively successful in the way you approached and actioned your life, regardless of the feedback you're getting back from those around you, the world around you, your bank, your boss, whatever. So how do we find a way to fill you 
up from the inside out with a feeling of contentment for your own personal success. And I think the key to that is defining your successes, setting more reasonable goals, and to be honest, patting each other on the back. I'm so proud of my friends who have struggled with things and overcome them, whether it's been health or you know, self-inflicted things or things that were done to them relationship-wise or, or um, you know, vocationally, uh, people who have identified flaws within themselves and fought to overcome them. Um, I have three friends right now who are in their eternal struggle with alcoholism, and they're all doing very well, and I think about them often, you know, and um, when I get the chance, I like to tell them so, um, not to embarrass them or not to remind them that we're all aware of their dirty little secret, but to let them know I'm very proud. I'm very proud of their success, and it is a success. And that success is just moving forward to the next day and being a better you and as good of a you as you can be. So let's pat each other on the back. Let's give each other hugs. Let's say I love you. And let's acknowledge each other's successes. And in our quiet moments, in our introspective moments, let's help each other identify where we're at in regards of adult success and um, alleviate some of that pressure to perform that so many of us feel. All right, that should wrap it up for this week. Until next Wednesday at 8.30, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and if you have any comments, any suggestions, any discussions, you know where to find me online. You can find me on Twitter still, at Carl Smith Writer. You can find me here um, on the Twitch, and um, I might be playing games, I might be talking, but for the next... 10 days, I'm going to be watching Sumo. And uh, yeah, man, take it easy yourself, man. I'm glad to hook up with all you guys on here. It's been a blast kind of building this small audience, even those that don't watch it live. Um, I'm very content with the handful of dudes I know that are willing to listen and, and talk about these topics, you know, in the same breath as video games, comic books, pro wrestling. Um, I think it's important that we acknowledge that there's other aspect of life and your guys' friendship is definitely um, an aspect of life that I want to continue to celebrate. So until next time, everybody take care. And uh, again, find a way to do the best uh, and most good you can do tomorrow when you get out of bed. Look at the world around you and say, where can I improve myself and where can I help others in need? See ya.